Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back, live from New York. Tom Harbin here with you, also in New York. Dean Obadala, the host of the Dean Obadala Show, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. on Sirius XM Radio Channel 127. He's also a columnist with the Daily Beast, his website, deanofradio.com, and you can tweet him at Dean Obadala. Dean, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. It's great to see you yesterday here in New York City. So I, it's a privilege to yeah, chat with you it twice really in two was. days. When people uh, listen on Sirius XM, I think they'll find that a couple of hours that we recorded there to be really fascinating stuff. I wanted to get into your article in the Daily Beast about the trial in the Senate and all that, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming you watched the debates last night? Yes, of course. I, I'm, I'm mandated by contract. I have to. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mandated by contract, but I I'm feel ins- obligated to. Yes, and I did watch the debates. And it was, you know, the big takeaway yeah. is wine cave. I want to go to a wine cave, Tom. I don't know where they are, how you get to one. Never heard the term in my life. But I am tr- intrigued by the wine cave idea of having any event there. Of course, the bigger picture is I wish we didn't have to do any fundraising for our candidates for president. And it'd be pure public financing. And we didn't have to deal with the legal corruption that we have in our system. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this, this is something that was brought to us courtesy of the Supreme Court with Buckley and then First National Bank and then Citizens United and then McCutcheon. And now it's even gotten worse with McDonald. These uh, series of uh, Supreme Court decisions that starting in 1976 that basically opened the door to big money, brought us the billionaire funded Ronald Reagan and pretty much every Republican ever since. And we've got to do something about it because it's turning, it has turned, according to Jimmy Carter on this show, has turned the country from a democracy into an oligarchy. And that ain't a good thing. And, and I'm really kind of torn, you know, watching that back and forth between Elizabeth Warren and, and Pete Buttigieg, because the simple fact of the matter is, if she or Bernie Sanders are our nominee, I want them to have every bit of ammunition available to them. And I don't know how they're going to be able to avoid people setting up super PACs. At least they'll probably be done the correct and legal way. A lot of Republican super PACs are actually run by friends, neighbors, brothers, sisters, former staffers, and and they just wink and nod at the rule that says you can't coordinate. I'm guessing if, if Bernie or Elizabeth sets, you know, if somebody else independently set one up, they could yell and scream all they want, but they can't force it to shut down. Maybe that's how it's going to play. What do you think? I agree with you that the thesis of this, we want our candidate to be 
completely uh, all the weapons they need in their arsenal have to be there. And unfortunately, because of our system, a great deal of money will have to be raised and spent. So, you know, you hope we nominate a candidate who's so principled that you don't worry about them being bought by, say, fossil fuel or big farm or whatever big corporate interest, that the money people are giving is because they know what these candidates are about, what they stand for. And when they get in office, they do not change their behavior or their policies to reward those who have given them money. So that's what you hope. Uh, that's the best we can do, because we, if a candidate said, I'm going to not take a penny from anyone and I'm going to be your Democratic nominee, I think we'd panic because like, where do you have the money? If you're not going to have allow people to raise money for you, you're going to have super PACs everywhere doing what they want. The system they, we have to navigate through is so inherently corrupt. I have confidence in some of our candidates that they will not be corrupted, but the system itself is corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. The references that Elizabeth Warren kept making to him, uh, giving ambassadors, you know, big donors yeah. money, I figured it was partly, you know, Sonderland, Sondland and all sure. that kind of stuff. I mean, this is just the absolute normal in the Trump administration, but it was in the Obama administration, it was in the Bush administration, it was in the Clinton administration. It has been basically since since Reagan. I mean, you know, that's really when it well, all you know, started. What's remarkable, Tom, is that during the, the election season, as you heard the candidates say, the most they can get from any individual is $2,800 under federal law directly. But if they get elected and they are having a normal committee, it's unlimited amounts, including corporations. In fact, Sondland was able to give a million dollars. Core Geo, that does private prisons, gave hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that bet is even better because you know the guy or woman is going to be the president. So to me, I want to hear the candidates and many who have come on my show, I've asked about this, and have said, of course, we're going to, we want to change those laws so that it's no longer unlimited contributions to a normal committee, because that's the most corrupting of all. And it's the surest bet for a big company or for a wealthy individual that person's won the election, and they're waiting in that month and a half, and you could give unlimited amounts legally to their normal campaign committee. This is ridiculous. Not campaign, an normal committee. And, and Trump... Outrageous. And Trump raised almost twice as much, I believe, for his inaugural committee as Obama did, and yet he didn't throw the lavish balls that Obama did. He, and w nobody knows where that money went. We know that the woman who was running it took millions and millions of it. She was an old friend of Ivanka's, but uh, yep. you know, there's people, uh, there's lawsuits to try to find that out. Anyhow, I, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the impeachment process and how that's going too. And who you, you know, if, if beyond the, the stuff we've already talked about, a, your thoughts on the debate last night, and B, your thoughts on this, uh, this piece that you wrote about uh, the House and the Senate and the trial. Well, I mean, the debate, I thought, like most debates, had tense moments, had boring moments, and had a lot of playful moments, which I actually kind of liked. It may have had the most humor of all. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the fight and, and the pile on Mayor Pete results in affecting him in the Democratic polls in the next week or two or not. And I think most people did well. I mean, even Joe Biden had some really good moments, I thought. It's going to be a question of are people still making their mind up, and polls seem to suggest they are. Democratic polls that have come out that people in various states, 60 or 70 percent, have not locked in their candidate. So I wonder how much it's going to move the polls, and time will tell. I won't even speculate, because I don't know what moves voters any longer, apparently, at this point, as I'm learning. The second thing about I think Speaker Pelosi, and I have a new article for NBC News think page out just a short time ago today as well, 
that she was a great strategist and better than I was. I, mean, I was on my show and I was writing about mm-hmm. it and, and others on my show were calling in and saying, what is going on with Speaker Pelosi in the summer? Why won't she do impeachment? People going as far to say, is she being blackmailed by Trump or does she want Trump to win? Ultimately, she was right. I was wrong. She knew we needed more evidence to get her caucus on board and get the American people on board. She did the right thing there and I think withholding the articles now is the absolute right thing to do. And I think spinning it well to the American people, making the case. It's for a fair trial. Everybody gets that. Trials should be fair. If you're not going to ensure a fair trial, why would we allow a rigged trial to take place in the United States Senate? That's not where it should belong. It should belong in a third world country. Trump wants a Soviet Joseph Stalin type show trial. We're not going to give him that. It's a real trial or no trial. I think Trump's trial should be in federal criminal court with a jury of his peers. That's where it ultimately should be. I think it should be there now. But unfortunately, DOJ legal memos don't allow that to happen. I think she's doing the right thing. And we'll see how polling plays out in that, but I think it's the right thing. Yeah, those legal memos, by the way, are only advisory. It's so ridiculous. If, this is ridiculous. The people talking about it like yeah. Jesus gave it to people. I mean, this is ridiculous to me. And even then, Jesus wouldn't right. give it that kind of stuff. He'd say prosecute him. But, but if, some, love if the, some rogue prosecutor was to try to indict him, then it would go to the Supreme Court and we'd find out. Right, exactly. We would finally have that decision. And I would have to hope that... If you follow, you know, the one, the Paula Jones case, you look at some of the other decisions, the U.S. versus Nixon, I think in certain circumstances they would carve out a situation where a president could be tried during their presidency. I can understand there are real-world impacts of having a president distracted from their job to deal with the trial. But then again, impeachment is distracting, and that's part of the Constitution. So, you know, the argument that it makes the person too busy doesn't, to me, it flies in the face of the impeachment process, which is distracting Trump right now. And that's the best part of this. The more he's distracted, less time for crimes. That's what I think. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Uh, Although maybe the more time to watch Fox News and then God only knows what happens or take calls from, you know, people like the president of Turkey and he'll betray another one of our allies. The great Dean Obadala, deanofradio.com, the website. Dean, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I'm doing the show live and remote from New York, so (laughs) every now and then the equipment isn't exactly uh, set the way we want. And I just wanted to offer some quick thoughts, and I'll share those with uh, Congressman Pocan on the debates. So Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, member of the U.S. House of Representatives representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, is on the line with us. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I'm so, so happy to be able to talk to you and that all the, the wonders of technology here are pulling all this together. <laughs> My thoughts, a friend of mine who is the publisher at the Independent Media Institute, they syndicate the op-eds that I write that pop up every week on Slate and Salon and alternate and whatnot. We watched the thing together last night, the debate, and and my major take was that I thought everybody did really good, and I finally got it. I earlier uh, with Joe Biden, he would you know pause or hesitate or kind of go off in funny directions, and I was worried that he was losing it, and it suddenly hit me last night. He's still struggling with stuttering, and that's what's going on because he was in fine form last night. I thought everybody won. I didn't think anybody had a bad night. I'm curious your thoughts on the debate. Tom, exactly the same. I was actually flying home after a, a very full week in Washington, 
saw about 45 minutes of it on the plane and then watched a lot of the highlights later. And everyone, Andrew Yang did a great job. Amy Klomachar did a great job. The people I expected to do a great job did a great job. Like across the board, I think having a few fewer candidates gave people a little longer to talk. You had, I thought, some of the better moderators as well. I thought they did a really good job. And at the end of the day, I think we got more content than I think we've gotten out of any of the other debates so far. Yeah, I agree. So we had an impeachment. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you were there for that, weren't you? You know, this was a week. Our budget bills yeah, we, for the year, we did uh, the impeachment process, which really was a pretty somber process, you know, at the end of the day, I think, for everyone. And then also passed a trade agreement. So three really substantial things that any one week would have been the news of the week, and we did all of them. And, of course, in history, impeachment, without question, stood out. I think, you know, watching the debate, it was unfortunate that not a single Republican really came to say the president didn't do something wrong. They came and put out a lot of misinformation about the Ukraine and Russia. They talked about process. They made accusations about people that weren't related to what the president did in breaking the law and very little substance. And I think, you know, we came out there and presented our case. And I think the American people have heard it now loudly and clearly. And this president now is the third president to be in this situation that we've seen, and now he's going to have to answer to voters next November. But it was important we did what we did. Had we not, we would be setting a different precedent for any future president, Democrat or Republican. And I'm really glad that even some of the people that were nervous going into this for some political reasons ultimately said, you know what, this is the right thing to do for all the other reasons. And that's what we needed to say on that day. Yeah, what really matters here is the nation. Well, you want to pick up some phone calls? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Great. Okay. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa. You are on the air with Congressman Pokin. Hello, Tom, and happy holidays to both of you gentlemen. I have a question. I've talked to you about this before, Tom. The EPA has released a ruling on the renewable fuel standard. I guess it's just come out, and the farmers and the leadership in the ethanol industry here in Iowa are just having a fit. They say that Trump has let them down. There were waivers that were issued so that they didn't have to blend ethanol. Could you tell me, Congressman, they say the EPA issued that, Who in the EPA issued those 85-whatever waivers to these refineries and gas companies? Is that a board? Is that one person? Is that the administrator of the EPA? Could you explain that to the farmers of Iowa? And who appointed that director? Yeah, Jeff, I mean, there is one person who ultimately is responsible for this, and that's Donald Trump. And, you know, those issues affect my state quite a bit, too. I have a lot of corn growers, and, you know, it's bad enough that the president's been fighting via Twitter with China and and getting retaliatory tariffs that have also affected uh, many soybean growers and, and corn growers. But it's really these biofuel standards and issues and directives that have come from this White House through the EPA, and there's no question these are the president's policies that are really negatively affecting farmers. So my dairy farmers have issues in certain areas, the dairy farmers in my district, but when it comes to especially the corn industry, which for Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, a number of other states, this is a big hit to those corn growers, especially when you've closed out some other markets overseas. And it is Donald Trump and Donald Trump's appointee at the EPA that have made this decision ultimately. 
Stephen in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Stephen, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. And we have just, I think we're doing hard breaks while I'm on the road. Yes, yeah, we just have one minute to the break. So a quick one, Stephen. Yes, uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Thanks for what you're doing again. My question is, wouldn't it benefit us to have Nancy Pelosi hold off on submitting the transcripts of the impeachment to the Senate this current time so that we'd have more time to get witnesses and be prepared for uh, next year? Thank you. Yes, Stephen, I think right now that's the place that we're at. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we get Mitch McConnell to agree to some of the witnesses the Democrats want to bring so you have a fair trial over there because right now, obviously, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, no one has said this is going to be a fair process in the Senate, and this may be the leverage we have. Uh, having said that, I've also uh, read some where they may be able to change their rules and get around that. So I think this is still a bit of an open issue we're figuring out, but right now Nancy has said she's going to withhold releasing them to the Senate, trying to get some conditions to have a fair trial in the Senate, and we'll see if uh, that can happen. But you're right, it's a, I think it's a good idea as well. That is one woman who takes no guff from anybody. <laughs> so no, I, you know, you that. never I, want to be on the wrong side of an issue with Nancy Pelosi. I can assure you that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was on the air last week or earlier this week, actually, saying, no, there's no way she can't hold on to it. They've got to go to the Senate. And I was completely wrong. It's remarkable. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. Just pay five bucks for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. Paul in Lucerne, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'd like to talk about bringing back the Telecommunication Modernization Act. It seems to me that we had Republicans up there on the committees asking questions just to be played on Fox News so they can further their alternative narrative. And it's, it's hurting the American people. We're in a constitutional crisis and we have one set of facts that are true and then we have alternative facts. It's hard to argue with your conservative neighbor when he's getting a completely different set of facts than you're getting. And the only thing I can see to fix that would be the fairness doctrine. Paul, I hear what you're saying. I do think it goes even broader than that, though. We never have had quite the 24-7 news market that we now have, and also social media never has had the influence that it has now. And, and many of the ways people are getting information, quite honestly, is coming through things like Facebook, where they're getting a feed of things, and it doesn't have to even be things that might be affected by more fair media laws, but it could be they're getting information from blogs and other things that happen to fall in their ideology 
strategy, and I don't think you're ever going to be able to control some of that. The, the real problem is Donald Trump has done an orchestrated effort, even before he got elected, basically say he is the only one who gives the truth, as any good despot would do, that you shouldn't follow the news. It's fake news. What they want you to do is know that the only place you can actually go is to Donald Trump, much like a cult leader. And that's the person where you'll get your information. And unfortunately, uh, I think they've done a very significantly good job on this. I've read articles in my own state where people ask what they think about on impeachment. They go, well, I don't know. I hear things from both sides. So you know, they don't know what to do because of the false information that's out there. And yet, at the same time, that almost plays into the fake news narrative that Donald Trump has falsely put out there. So there's a lot that we have to figure out when it comes to that. And uh, I think some of it really falls also in social media and maybe even beyond a little bit of what we can control, at least through that one piece of legislation. Randy in uh, Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, you're on the air with Congressman Pocahontas. In the spending bill that came out of Congress, they did away with the Obama-era taxes on medical devices, Cadillac plans, and stuff like that. What was the purpose of giving those tax cuts, $360 billion, which will go on the deficit? Did that have something to do with the Supreme Court ruling that was coming out at the time, or anything you can enlighten me on? Sure, Randy. I, I think so. What happened is generally at the end of the year, there's a tax extender package because we didn't get our budget done on the fiscal year of September 30th because the Senate didn't do anything up to that point. And everything was all lumped together. And, you know, this is awful for democracy. And, and I do mean in a, in a very small D democracy way, democratic way, to have a bill that you can't amend and it comes in this form. I can talk more about it if you want when we come back. But uh, part of this was we've been trying to get rid of the excise tax. And that was something we wanted. Some of it is what Republicans want, and there was some give and take on the various tax extenders. We'll be right back. Congressman Mark Pocan is taking your call for the hours here on the Tom Hartman Program. I'm broadcasting live from New York City. We'll be right back. And Gordon in O'Brien, Oregon. Gordon, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom and Congressman Pocan. I had a idea about the impeachment articles, and there's two of them. Nancy Pelosi could actually separate the two and send them at different times. But also, I think she could use them as leverage and say that Mitch McConnell has to deal with the 300 bills they've already sent over before she sends the impeachment articles over. And that would maybe bring the issue to light in the press and the media, which hasn't really been highlighted much. They keep saying, do nothing. Democrats... But I think, you know, she could use this to turn it around to make it do nothing. Republicans in the Senate are do nothing. Mitch McConnell say, do my 300 bills first, then I'll send you one article of impeachment. And then later on in the summer, send a second one. I suppose that's an option, Gordon. I know right now she's doing it trying to get leverage for the Democrats in the Senate to be able to get some witnesses to have a fair trial. And I think because it's related, I think that's the strongest way to probably withhold sending them over, trying to make changes there. I do think they're not getting very far with their do-nothing Democrats. I I mean, it's not landing. Not that we've had a chance to air all the bills as we would have liked to that we've passed, because the media has been a little bit obsessed, I think, around just uh, impeachment and not talking about other things. 
I can tell you, when I was in the Wisconsin legislature in 2008, I ran our Democratic campaign committee the year we took the majority for the first time in 14 years, and we did some do-nothing Republicans because the, the Republican majority wasn't doing much. We actually polled it, and people were kind of okay with politicians not doing anything, <laughs> unfortunately, and I don't know if they're going to really land because not only are they not factually correct, I don't know if they're even in a place that they're talking to an audience that they think they're talking to. It just may be one of those Donald Trump things. So I think we're fine. Let's get a fair trial, as fair we can in the Senate. Let's figure out every way possible to increase the pressure on the bills we have sent, because many of them have really strong support. And I think you can do both and really push that going into 2020. You know, that was the slogan Harry Truman used in 1948 to defeat the uh, Republicans. He called them the do-nothing Republicans, and that really worked. But that was back in the days before Reagan, when people believed government was a good thing and politicians should do something. If you're pitching to Republicans right now who don't even think we should have a government, you may be right. I'm curious, Congressman, anybody has ever thought of passing a resolution in the House? You have a majority right now. You could do it. Not law, just a a resolution or what you tell me what the proper name for this is that simply says, whereas the correct name of the party that was founded by Thomas Jefferson is the Democratic Party. There is no Democrat Party. Democrat Party was proposed by, oh, uh, Eugene McCarthy, not Eugene McCarthy. uh, What was McCarthy's first name? Not the politician. You know, the uh, Joe McCarthy back in the 1950s, and he always said and put the emphasis on the word rat. Therefore, the Congress of the United States asks magazines, newspapers, electronic media, and other publications to please use the correct name of our party. I mean, I saw a Democrat party in the Washington Post yesterday. Horrified. Yeah. What do you think? just shows the power of repetition, right? And the president has yes. the single biggest bully pulpit of anyone in this country, and I would argue maybe anyone in the world. So when he wants to put misinformation out like he does over and over and over again, he does change the narrative. It doesn't matter if it's factual, it just he can change the narrative, just like he's telling you you only get fake news, so you have to go to a despot in order to get the right information. It's very cult-like. So I suppose that's something we could do, but what I'm really concerned about is how we, we really get it back to the point where during the impeachment stuff, there was a poll in Wisconsin, and they went down to my hometown down in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and one of the people that was quoted in an article said, yeah, they didn't really know what to believe because they hear stuff from both sides. And, you know, there's certain facts that are facts, right, that this is what the president did. And the fact that they don't know to even trust that like you used to with the media is a whole different problem that we've got to untangle. Yeah. I get people calling all the time who say, I'm an independent. I'm not a member of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. And as soon as they say Democrat Party, I know that there's somebody who watches Fox News. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Got a quick question for Congressman Pocan. Nancy Pelosi's holding on to the charges until she gets a clear signal from the Senate. Can she continue to hold on to these charges and while she's doing that, build up other charges? For example, the Emoluments Clause, which is clearly breaking the law. Is that something that can be done as well? Yeah, I'd probably divide that in two areas. One, from what I read recently, there may be some ways the Senate can change their rules and try to get what she's holding up right now. So that's a separate issue then. At the same time, all of our committees that are doing oversight can continue doing work, getting information on the emoluments clause, on the taxes, on other issues, and they're going to do that. But I don't think they necessarily have to be tied together, Paul. I think we're hoping that she can hold these for a while, but the Senate may have a way to get around this. 
And there's no double jeopardy provision with regard to impeachment. Could be other yeah, types of things that come forward, and especially on the tax front and emoluments, just as two examples. Larry, in 29 Palms, California, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. My fear, my question is, the second ballot, the superdelegates will be able to decide on. How then does anything we do before that make any difference at all? Well, Larry, I mean, if the primary gets narrowed down and doesn't get deadlocked going to convention, which is extremely rare that that would ever happen, then it could come into play. But otherwise, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you don't have a vote on the first ballot and it's decided by the elections, which it has been almost every single time, the second ballot will never come into play. So I I understand the concern because there's so many candidates and you're wondering and there's lots of speculation you could put out there, a lot of different variables you could try to guess. But the reality is, let's see what happens to the election process, but I find it unlikely at this point that we're going to be facing a situation where it's going to go to convention to be decided. Robert, in Sacramento, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Now that we have full impeachment, has President Trump lost his ability to pardon these criminals? Uh, No, Um, I don't believe he's lost anything yet because he hasn't gone through his Senate trial, and this hasn't taken away, to the best of my knowledge, anything. I don't think I'm misstating this. I can't say that I've got that answer for you 100%, Robert, but I don't see how anything has changed given the powers he has and what the House has done. Yeah, the problem is that there hasn't been any kind of adjudication of it. Article 2 says he shall have the power of pardon except in cases of impeachment. Well, he's been impeached. So it doesn't say impeachment and removal from office. Um, Yeah. Maybe because that would be so obvious, you know, but uh, does that mean that he can't pardon himself? He can't pardon others who might be witnesses against him, that the vice president can't pardon him? When Nixon got let loose, the theory was that if Nixon had been impeached, Ford would not have been able to pardon him. I guess that's the extent of it. Yeah, I have seen no account say that he's lost any powers. So I'm I'm guessing, because I know this has been discussed and by people, I've seen no account say that he's lost those powers, and that's what I'm basing it on. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Brock in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for your service, Congressman. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I had a question. I found it odd that Republicans were using as a defense that Democrats were inciting McCarthyism. I wonder if they even know who McCarthy was. Yeah, especially from Wisconsin. We know a little bit about Joe McCarthy, right? Almost all the arguments, I, I spent maybe an hour and a half on the floor during that six-hour debate and um, watched quite a bit more of it where I could in between meetings on TV. And it was all about process. It was about almost like ad hominem attacks. It was about anything but defending the president's actions. Because if you can't defend the president that he broke the law based on asking foreign government to interfere in our elections because he did just that, they couldn't provide that defense. It's the same reason why the president couldn't have any witnesses come and say the president's innocent because he did uh, exactly what we said he did. So for them to be putting out all these other stories, they're just trying to confuse it. Uh, And sometimes they're good with some of their supporters are easily more easily confused than maybe uh, others. Uh, But the bottom line is they have not yet been able to defend the actions of the president, nor have they been able to have any witnesses come forward and do that. And that's why their case is so weak. George in Garden City, Kansas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Yeah, Mark, I just had one quick question. Are there any yeah. plans in Congress, or there have been, to take the cap off of Social Security? And I'll take your uh, answer offline. Thank you for your vote, Wednesday. Appreciate it. Goodbye. Yeah, thank you, George. And uh, yes, John Larson of Connecticut has a bill, and I wish I knew the name of it offhand, and I don't, George, but it is to lift the cap as well as provide some additional benefits for seniors. One of the things that we attach people's increases in Social Security to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, but seniors spend money differently than consumers as a whole, often less on things like gasoline, because many aren't driving, but more on medicines. In fact, I think I've seen estimates of 25% of their income might be going towards that. So it also... John Larson's bill would change that index to a CPI-E so that seniors would get a little bit more money, and it does a number of other changes. We need to shore up Social Security. We can quite easily by adjusting the cap, and there is a vehicle put forward, and I believe John has over 200 sponsors on it, and we have raised this with uh, Leader Pelosi. We'd like to see a vote on this next year. Scott in Rancho Cucamonga, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, guys. I'd like to get your thoughts on the whole wine cave debate last night. I have a concern. I love Elizabeth Warren, but I have a concern that it might be naive on her part to think she can run in a general against Donald Trump without having big money donors and bundlers. I don't see how that's possible. And I think the attacks the candidates made on one another regarding how they're financing their campaigns is, you know, maybe puts us in a bad place. Citizens United, we don't like it. We would like to see it done away with, but the rules are the rules as of today, and we need to win. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that. First of all, I think Bernie Sanders first when he ran four years ago and Elizabeth Warren have been really leading the way on showing you can run with low-dollar donations. You don't have to go to the same old special interest places where they want something for their money. And I completely agree with what Bernie and Elizabeth say on this issue, that when people give you big dollars, it's because they want big things from you. And if you can run a campaign clear of that, you are going to be far more independent. I found the debate interesting. I talked to my 90-year-old mother last night, and the one takeaway way she had from the debate. She goes, something about a $900 bottle of wine at an event. And she could understand in a place like Wisconsin, where we don't like to crack the $12 bottle of wine price, $900 is pretty crazy. And that's not people who have the average American's best interest. So I think a good point, and more than a point, a really good message and principle was made that when you go to people like that for money, they often want something, and it's to make more money, and that's not necessarily in the best interest of the public as a whole. I have always been a supporter of 100% public financing when I was in the state legislature. I think we need to seriously reform this. I put redistricting maybe just a hair above campaign finance reform as ways that we have to make our democracy more solid. And I think that what Bernie and Elizabeth are doing is showing us a very different path forward. And if any of the Democrats who could win the nomination would follow that rather than going back to the same old ways just to get money from rich people, uh, we would be better off and stronger as a party and get more votes and be more successful in the long run. Mike in Chicago, listening to WCPT, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, how you doing? I'm going to risk being Thanks. called an anarchist, Trump supporters, but I want to wish you, Tom, and your staff uh, happy holidays. Um, Thank you. Mike. My question Thank is you. any sure. My question is anything being done to ensure that all the documents and all relevant recordings are being saved in the White House office? 
I believe, I mean, that's been kind of ongoing. So I'm not sure that we have a, a concern that that's not happening. So I don't have a better answer for you, Mike, that we have a fear of something not being saved at this point. Mary in Las Vegas. Good morning, and thank you. Two things, if I may, real quickly. With regard to the debate, first off, I wish the Democrats just wouldn't go after one another like that. There's plenty of stuff to go after Trump about, and that's where I wish we would direct our energies. But the second thing is a woman called in on C-SPAN this morning, said she had read an article by some judge that said until Ms. Pelosi hands over the articles of impeachment to Mitch McConnell for delivery to Trump, that technically he is not impeached. I was wondering if you had a comment on that. Thank you. Mm. On the second one, First Mary, I don't know that. Like I said, a lot of this is moving, and we're learning as things are happening, right? We've first had the conversations this week about even holding them back, just trying to get a fair trial in the Senate, because Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham clearly have said it's not going to be one. We need to do what we can there. But I, I have not heard that anywhere else as a definitive answer. So that sounds I, like I, a I Fox talking it, point. Be- yeah, it, I, I don't because think Because if it, an impeachment uh, it, is an indictment... It's like he's been indicted. I mean, be if a prosecutor yeah. brings down an indictment, you know, I think yes. she's mistaken. Yeah, but Mary, to your first point, though, you know, I, I do know exactly what you're saying, right? I mean, people have to differentiate themselves, but I think we should keep the focus on Donald Trump, and especially, let me use that example in healthcare. I think some people have tried to differentiate themselves by attacking Medicare for All, which is still a very popular idea out there. In fact, uh, Pramila Jayapal, my co-chair in the Progressive Caucus and the author of the bill in the House, just showed me some polling that came from, I think it was the Wall Street Journal even. It's still very high, but people have used that to differentiate themselves. Attack Donald Trump and the Republicans for trying to take away health care for pre-existing conditions. Go forward on the value we should all have health care. But I think there is a better way we could be doing this than just attacking someone to get a little bit ahead. And uh, I think your point is well made. We used to think new year, new me. Yeah, right. More like new year, new wrinkles. With every passing year, we all look older. But All that has changed now thanks to this magic-in-a-bottle Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's like you turned back the clock instead of ringing in another new year. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. All you have to do is apply this powerful serum to problem areas, and within 10 minutes, voila, a new you. And the best part? No surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. Ring in 2020 knowing Plexiderm is going to give you smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. And the best part is... It goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles in 2019 with Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, half off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code Hartman. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code Hartman. John in Sumlin, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Thank you, Representative Pocan, for coming on and taking calls. And Tom, thank you for doing your show every day. I think you guys both are giving hope to a lot of people around the country, and I appreciate you both for doing what you do. My question is, there's a, a rumor that the CIA and FBI and the intelligence service do not want to 
give up their methods and sources and that they know about the Russian oligarchs' money that Trump is using. Also, Trump has a, a oil deal with the Russian oil company. And this is why the ta- his taxes and the Mazar account data and the Deutsche Bank data is not coming out, and that's what's holding up the subpoenas. I wanted your comment on that. And then the other thing is we need the recording of the call in the securest server. Never mind the witnesses. I want to hear the call. Thank you very much for what you do. Yeah, John, thank you. Uh, appreciate your comments. And it does sound a bit more like a rumor because uh, we are going through the legal process, right? We have a bill that we've passed, and we're going through that process federally. We also have New York State doing what they're doing around taxes. And part of it is just the legal process is very uh, un- slow, um, somewhat intentionally and somewhat maybe uh, frustratingly, but it's part of why we knew uh, we had to move ahead because, uh, for example, in some of the witnesses, because you can't wait as long as that process may take. And in this case, I think, you know, we're just having to wait for the legal process to take its course. I don't believe there's anything out there that's, you know, some kind of a CIA, FBI orchestration to stop any kind of information coming. I think it really just has to do with uh, the speed of the legal process process. Keith in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, a very simple question. seems to me that in an impeachment trial, the senators are just sworn in as supposedly objective jurors, and the chief justice presides over that hearing. Now, why does Mitch McConnell feel that he's going to be in charge of this? I thought the Constitution says that it's the chief justice. Sure, Keith. I think most of the issue has just been that he's setting up some of the rules for the process, and if he doesn't allow some of the witnesses the Democrats have asked for, you know, we just want people who have not testified that should, if someone can actually say the president's innocent, these are some of the people that could say it, and if they're not going to allow them to come, again, doesn't pass the smell test. I think ultimately they pay a price for that, but we would like a fair and real trial in the Senate, and I just think Mitch McConnell's trying not to do that, and certainly Lindsey Graham has uh, signaled the same, and that's the issue we're having. Lou, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Well, yeah, thanks for taking my question. I think, you know, we need, we're not getting a message across, and what could we do to do this better? And the, I constantly hear Republicans saying, well, this is going to cost money, that's going to cost money, it's coming out of your pockets. But if we look historically, overtime, 40-hour work week, ending child labor, public schools, Social Security, every one of them either reduce taxes or increase disposable income or both. We need to grab that message back and, and don't be explaining why we're going to be spending more money. We need to be explaining that we're going to be giving you money with these programs. Why aren't we concentrating on getting that message out? Yeah, Lou, I think some of that does happen. You know, uh, Pramila Jayapal and I just wrote a piece this week, I think it was in USA Today, trying to talk about this when it comes to the presidential candidates. If you look at where the vast majority of the public are on some of the biggest issues of the day, the Green New Deal, health care, minimum wage, and go down the list of issues, 60 to 80 percent of the public are in support with issues that I would call, or we call, progressive issues. So that's not uh, the fringe. It's the mainstream of where people are at. They actually already understand all of this. I think where Donald Trump and the Republicans have done especially well is playing on people's fear and bigotry. So in some cases, it's people who just don't uh, 
want to see people with different skin colors than their own getting ahead. In some cases, they're afraid that they're going to lose what they have, and they play off of fear. So I don't think it's so much on the substance because, again, people agree with us on the vast majority of issues. It's it's this other way that they uh, try to manipulate people. Uh, so I, I think we just need to stay true to what you're saying. I mean, th- those are the positions that people agree with. Let them know we really, really believe them. We authentically believe them, and we'll do it if we're in charge. And if we do that, I think we'll succeed. But I think sometimes we haven't been as authentic and as uh, strong as we need to in delivering that message. Karen in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Happy holidays, gentlemen. First, I would just like to give a proud shout out to my congressman, Matt Cartwright, for voting yes on the articles of impeachment. And my question is, I've been trying to reach Mitch McConnell's office for over two years to either speak with someone from his staff or leave a voicemail uh, to no avail ever, even in the middle of the night. Voicemail box is full. How do we, the American people, get to him to force him to bring up some of this legislation in the Senate, especially like the voting, the paper ballot backup voting? Yeah, so Karen, uh, in, in this is something that, uh, that happens in our office too. We have 700-some thousand people I represent in a limited staff, and our um, obligation is really to the people who I represent. So if someone doesn't live in the district, we can't do casework, we can't do other things for them because we're limited on what we can. So it's often hard to get to a member that's not your member. However, where I think you have the biggest influence is your senators. Um, do uh, you, you are their constituent. You can influence them, and you put the pressure on them to make sure that Mitch McConnell's taking something up and hold them accountable for those decisions. So the best way to make Mitch McConnell, uh, Mitch McConnell accountable is to make your senators accountable. And uh, I, I really don't know if it's worth your time to keep calling his office because I don't think you're going to get through. But call your senator's office. Make them respond to you. Make them do their jobs. And I think if you do that, and we do that across the country, that's our best way to really influence Mitch McConnell. Becky in North Berwick, Maine. You're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Uh, good afternoon, Congressman. I'd, I've been watching some of the uh, these hearings, the, the Senate, you know, with Brett Kavanaugh, and now now the impeachment hearings. And I'm I'm just wondering for for a televised hearing, what is what is the purpose of all those theatrics, and why doesn't why don't the um, House members have to take an oath as well as the witnesses to tell the truth? Seems to me that would be of a better benefit to the people. Becky, good point. And unfortunately, I think for some of these people, uh, they've almost come to believe some of the lies because they've repeated it so many times. And, you know, I watched it, unfortunately, way too much uh, the day of the impeachment day. Um, when we listen to some of the debate, people, you know, somehow trying to shift what Russia did in our elections to Ukraine uh, is crazy. It's a conspiracy theory. It's trying to provide some cover for the president, and yet it's not grounded in any truth whatsoever. But you make a very valid point. You would hope that uh, instead of making just the witnesses uh, have to swear, an oath, well, why wouldn't the people who are actually representing us? And I think, again, the best recourse you have is in the ballot box. And for those uh, representatives that aren't telling the truth and aren't responding, you can hold them accountable at that point. What are your thoughts on, on what we should be looking at? You know, we'll be talking again live after the first of the year between now and yeah. then. Well, 
so I mean, we're out of session until I think January 7th in the House, and I believe the Senate is, is similar. This does mean members are home, although I'll be real honest, we have limited hours over the holidays, as uh, you might expect, but it's a good chance still to get a hold of your elected officials getting ready for next year. You know, we know the presidential campaign will largely take over the, the national debate more so. That's why I think you saw a lot of legislation get done at the end of the year, but we have some important things to do. That Social Security bill earlier we talked about, we would love to see pass in the House. We need to pass some infrastructure bills in the House. We need to pass the PRO Act, uh, which is a pro-worker act that's really important in the House of Representatives early next year. And we're going to be reaching out to people and making sure that they contact their elected officials on those bills for now. I just really want to say, Tom, I, I really enjoy you know doing your program. Thank you for the service you provide. And to all your listeners, happy holidays. And you know this is a great way to have a conversation. We do our best to answer questions. You've always got folks that have really awesome points and questions to make. And uh, I just really appreciate being able to do this every year. So to you and Louise and your family and all your listeners, happy holidays. Meadow in Seattle. Hey, Meadow, what's on your mind today? I've never called before, but I'm really worried, and I missed Mr. Pocan, but I was on hold, and I wanted to find out if you or he have heard that I just heard from Social Security Works on email that Trump is now attacking Social Security disability benefits and trying to throw a lot of people off of that program by changing the rules, and it sounds very serious. And I'm wondering if you've heard about it, if there's anything we can do about it, and if if you know about it, or if you can have that guy from Social Security on to to figure this out, because we need to do something to stop this. Yeah, we had a conversation with Alex Lawson about this uh, the last time he was on, maybe three, four weeks ago. And uh, you're right. And uh, what uh, the problem is that while Congress says, okay, uh, here's the Social Security Disability Program, here's how many dollars we're going to give to the Social Security Administration to administer it, and uh, here are the broad guidelines of what we would like to do, who we want to cover, and how we want them covered, um, it wouldn't even be possible for Congress to do, uh, individual members of Congress to do the thousands of hours of detailed number crunching and actuarial stuff and all this, that, and the other thing to come up with the very specific rules about you know, what hoops people have to jump through, what exactly qualifies a person as, as uh, you know, able to get disability insurance, and how much they should get. So they hand all that off to the executive branch, the president's administration. The Social Security Administration is within the executive branch, and the head is appointed by the president. And so Donald Trump has appointed a director of, of the Social Security Administration, as well as Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and I'm not sure if it's the same person in both. Uh, I think her name is Seema or Sharma Verma or Vima. And she's, the, she's kind of embroiled in a scandal right now about using mind-boggling amounts of government money to remodel her office and stuff like that. But um, they, they have proposed a new set of rules um, for who qualifies for Social Security Disability Insurance, how long you can be on Social Security Disability Insurance, and what the specific benefits are that will cause um, some people. Um, and I'm, I don't uh, recall the number. I'm not even sure that we know the number yet from my conversation with Alex. But uh, this will be a very, very bad thing. And the only way, Meadow, that I know of 
that we can change that is to change who the president is, because this is stuff that the president has discretion over. Just like he, just like the, the Secretary of the Interior has now said, oh, it's just fine to drill for, for oil on public lands uh, or mine you know, for uranium or copper or iron or gold or whatever you want, and they're selling off public lands at pennies on the dollar. Um, you know, Congress writes the broad rules, but they get administered by these individual administrators. Same thing with the EPA. Um, you know, Obama put into place the clean air rule. Um, that was not Congress. I mean, Congress created a, a, an infrastructure, a superstructure that could do it. But Obama put in the, those rules in place administratively, and Trump is taking them out. So, well, what he what he is, about what he said is that he's going to change it. They have to reapply every six months. Yeah, that may well be. I I can't say that whether that specific is true or not, but he has the power to do that, and that's why we need a new president. Meadow, thank you. George in Santee, California. Hey, George, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? On the subject of universal health care, uh, I think what needs to be added in on the cost is if we had universal health care, how that would affect our homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance or automobile insurance our state disability insurance, uh, you know, you could just go on and on and on the peripheral cost of not having universal health care. I'd like your thoughts on that. Oh, it would save us a fortune. I mean, you know, as an employer, I would no longer have to pay workman's comp. Um, as a car owner, I would no longer have to pay the medical part of my car insurance. Um, as a human being, I wouldn't have to worry that the person sitting next to me, uh, you know, on the train or what, I, you know, in the bus or walking down the street who's coughing has tuberculosis because I know that everybody has access to health care and somebody gets sick, they get well. Um, I wouldn't have to worry that, that uh, you know, if our country is under biological attack or even unintentional biological attack, essentially, that, that we have a strong, resilient system to respond to it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have to go to sleep every night knowing that, that 15, 20, 25,000 of my fellow Americans have died in the last 12 months unnecessarily because they didn't have access to health care. And, 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 you know, you look at the loss of productivity, how disruptive that is to families, you know, when the kids lose dad or mom. I mean, the, the costs, uh, you know, the financial costs are obvious. Um, the, the societal and cultural costs are almost never discussed, and they're huge too, George. Hey, thank you for that, Tom. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate the call. Mark Taylor Canfield in Seattle. Hey, Mark, what's up? While all of this hoopla about the impeachment's been going on, there's been another news story around the world where folks have been commemorating the 20th anniversary of the mass protests against the World Trade Organization that took place in Seattle. So those were major historic events mm -hmm. that sort of changed modern history. And there were two weeks of events in Seattle featuring day-long workshops on fair trade and global justice issues. Uh, Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stieglitz was here to deliver the keynote address at Town Hall. So I got a chance to talk to him. Lori Wallach from Public Citizen was in town. And I, Tom, I was there on the streets as a very young man, you know, that was one of my first experiences of Seattle were the riot cops, and I ended up being the lead plaintiff in a major civil rights lawsuit against law enforcement and city officials for the indiscriminate use of tear gas, which is actually CS gas is what they were using. And I was also part of this group. How'd that work out? Found a group. 
Well, you know, the judge threw our lawsuit out like three or four times in a row. There are several issues like this ever-expanding no-protest zone that was part of the civil emergency orders, you know, where handing out copies of the Bill of Rights was considered illegal. That's why we formed this group called the Committee for Local Government Accountability and did a big report on it. I wrote a section for the National Lawyers Lawyers Club report on it, too. But the militarization of police and mass violations of civil rights protests, unfortunately, were the legacy of those protests, Tom. And that's the story that we've been trying to tell in Seattle. Just for future generations to understand, you got to stand up for your civil rights during and your right to assemble and peaceably protest. So for our Tom Hartman Insider videotape uh, that uh, is over, or videotape, <laughs> YouTube, whatever you want to call it, private, private video that's available over at TomHartman.com, um, I'm talking this, this week about Donald Trump just completely giving in to Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, the dictator of Turkey now, um, and, the, and this theory that Jared Kushner okayed the killing, at least the capture, perhaps the killing of Jamal Khashoggi and uh, to Mohammed bin Salman, and that Erdogan has the tape of it, and that when he called up Donald Trump a couple weeks ago and said, I want you to pull out of Syria and give me those Kurds so I can kill them and take that land, that he did it because Erdogan threatened him. And then Erdogan comes to the United States a week or two later and gets a whole state dinner thing. Check it all out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Karen in Warren, Michigan. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Hi. Well, you know, for months now, I keep hearing about Mitch McConnell and all the unpassed legislation sitting on his desk, and it just makes my blood boil. I was just wondering why mm -hmm. he has such power, one man, to do that. Why can't the Senate force a vote on any of those bills that are sitting on his desk? Or could legislation be passed to limit his power to do that? Well, the legislation would have to get through him. And yes, the Senate could vote to change the rules so that things didn't have to get through him. The Senate could vote to, uh, to get any legislation off his desk, in fact. All it would take is a majority. Uh, the problem is that one of, the, one of the biggest things that the Speaker of the House and the uh, Senate Majority Leader control that most Americans don't even know exists is a massive multi, multi, multi million dollar slush fund of donated money that is then in turn donated to the campaigns of favored members of the House and Senate. And uh, so Mitch McConnell's in a position where he can basically make or break any Republican in the Senate between the money that he himself passes out and the influence that he has over the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. He has the ability to destroy any member of the Senate who, who challenges him, as does Nancy Pelosi. She uses her power, as you saw when she was challenged for being Speaker of the House after the Democrats won back the majority. She does not use her power as a threat the way Mitch McConnell does. She certainly does, however, use it as a carrot. That and the ability to make committee assignments, that's the other big power that they have. Oh, you want to be on the Judiciary Committee or you want to be on the, on the Defense Committee or you know, whatever your particular thing is, I can make that happen, but only if you support me. And if you don't support me, you're not going to be on any committee. 
So the, the power that the, that the Speaker has in the House and the power that the Majority Leader has in the Senate is pretty extraordinary, Karen. And I don't know of any way to change that. This is something that's been a, a feature, not a bug, of our congressional system pretty much since the founding of the Republic. Well, at least Anyhow, Bernie's right about yeah, one thing, get yeah. money out of politics. That's probably the number one thing that would diminish the power of both the Speaker and the Senate Majority Leader is if they didn't have that ability to control these giant slush funds. And, and in fact, that was one of the things that was dialed back dramatically in 74 and 75 in uh, the good government legislation that followed the Nixon scandals. But uh, that got blown up in 1976 in the Supreme Court Buckley decision. William in Lithonia, Georgia says you disagree with me. What, what about? I'm kind of insulted by the idea that because I don't vote for whoever wins the Democratic primary, I should vote for them, or, or I, that I'm stupid enough to stand in a circular firing squad like this guy says. I'm like, um, first of all, some of the crappiest legislation ever has been passed by the Democrats. I mean, why should I just vote for anybody because they're a Democrat, because they got a D next to their name? The, Trump is not the problem. Trump is a symptom of the problem. And the Democrats, these crappy Democrats that we keep voting for, is what gave us Trump. So if somebody please tell me why I have to vote for somebody just because they're a Democrat. Because the most important vote that a Democrat makes, or a Republican for that matter, uh, the most important vote that a member of the Senate or the House makes is the vote that they take on the very first day of the new session of Congress when they choose their leadership. And frankly, in the House of Representatives, when they choose who's going to be Speaker of the House, it doesn't have to be the person who is the head of the majority party. And that defines pretty much the course of everything else, William, number one. And number two, I get your sentiment. I'll admit, in 2000, I voted for Ralph Nader. Now, you know, I lived in Vermont. I knew that I didn't have to worry about Vermont going Republican. And I'd probably, you know, it was a protest vote, basically, in some ways. But I also liked Ralph Nader. I still do. But if I had lived in a, if I had lived in a state, if I lived in Florida, for example, I wouldn't have done that. I would have voted for the Democrat because I didn't want George W. Bush to be president. So, you know, I, well, I think that, I say, that to, we need to think strategically. And if you are that concerned about how crappy the Democratic Party is, please show up at your local Democratic Party in Lithonia, Georgia, and become a member of the party. You can be the guy who's writing the platform. You can be the guy who's choosing the primary candidates. William, I'm sorry, we're out of time. I, I, I call again and, and we can continue the conversation. You are not without power. You just have to use it. You have to show up. You have to exercise that power. And politics goes beyond simply showing up once every two or four years to vote. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 